The book of Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible. Here we find a spiritual treasure chest full of cherished poems. And as Christians in training, we find out from an early age that they're not hard to find. Remember, if you ever had uh, Bible drills when you were young, uh, how do you find the Psalms? You take the Bible, you open it to the middle. Don't be too precise. You'll end up in Ezekiel. Uh, but they're designed for choral and liturgical expression. They're designed to be used in worship. Uh, and they teach us how to pray. They're, they're for us to learn how to pray. They anticipate every dimension of human experience. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, they anticipate those feelings and those experiences, whatever you've been through. It's in the Psalms somewhere. And we retrieve them in, in times of grief and sadness, in times of joy and celebration. From Psalm 1 to 150, we find psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving, royal psalms, political psalms. And what I like to think of as psalms of comfort. So think of Psalm 23 or Psalm 121. But there's another category of psalms that most churches are less familiar with, the psalms of lament. Now, how, how do I say that, that most churches don't pay much attention to the psalms of lament? Well, I'll give you a little pop quiz. How many of you have ever heard of a praise team? Church having a praise team. Okay, now how many of you ever heard of a church having a lament team? Don't find that one in the announcements. Come and join the lament team. Oh, me, me, choose me. I must confess the lament psalms are, are really not the ones I have bookmarked when I come see you when you're in trouble. Comfort psalms. Lament psalms. We did read lament psalms across the season of Lent this year and naming all the hard things that we've been through as a people, as a nation, um, as a global communion. And though lament psalms make up a substantial portion of the Psalter, we might steer clear of them most of the time. So today I'm setting aside common practice again and I'm leaving the lectionary and preaching another psalm that's not included in the lectionary. I know this is big news. <laughs> um, but lament psalms aren't in the lectionary, I wager, because they're, they're hard to engage. Well, some are in there, but this one's not. Psalm 88. But lament psalms in general are hard to engage. They give full expression to human pain and anger and rage and sadness and despair. They sound like the wailing in an emergency room. They write like a suicide note. They sound like an angry outburst in public or like the body shaking with sobs or they sound like the, the tears hitting your pillow silently. We do not read them at Christmas. We don't pull them out for epiphany. We give them brief attention during Holy Week, but we do not read them on Easter 
and we don't read them on Pentecost. The lectionary does not invite us to read Psalm 88 at all. It's almost like a banned book. Isn't that cool? You should know, at least for me, you have uh, an open invitation to read banned books. <laughs> Start with Toni Morrison's Beloved. Maybe pick up Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. But why does the church's preaching schedule, its worship schedule, treat Psalm 88 like a pariah? Well, maybe it's because we think of every Sunday as a little resurrection day, the first day of the week, the day we remember Christ's resurrection. We have six other days to worry about laments, but we have, don't we have this one day that we can protect for celebration and, and praise and worship, proclamation, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes? Maybe that's why we, we don't manage to let Psalm 88 in the door on Sundays. It, it just doesn't quite fit the occasion. Find here no praise, no good news, no thanksgiving, no comfort, any gospel. Other lament psalms finally step in line. Psalm 88 does not cooperate. Consider Psalm 22, for example. You know this psalm. You know at least part of it, probably, because you know the seven last words from the cross. Psalm 22 is where Jesus gets the line, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting the psalm. Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? The psalmist begins by questioning God and articulating the excruciating experience of desertion and abandonment. Her heartbreaking introduction flows directly into agonizing descriptions of mental anguish. I am a worm and not human, she says, scorned by others, despised by the people. And she continues with a careful documentation of physical pain. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint and my heart is poured out like wax. It is melted within my breast. But moments later, she's belting out thanksgiving and praise. From the horns of the wild oxen, you have rescued me. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. All of the lament psalms finally pay tribute in some way, though they may cry aloud and plead to God, they finally all tuck a thank you in there somewhere except for this one, except for Psalm 88. No one, not even God, comes to the rescue for this poor soul. This is the one psalm out of 150 psalms that begins in tears and ends in darkness and in between offers no respite, no promises, no answers, no comfort. Ah! To read Psalm 88 is to fall into an open grave on a moonless night. You're not merely forsaken among the living, you're forsaken among the dead too. It's to feel God's wrath pummel you like waves. It's to be shunned. It's to have your eyes puffed up with grief. It's to yell into an empty well and not even hear an echo. It's to accuse God like Jeremiah does of assaulting you and abandoning you. 
of casting you off and then hiding from you. No friends to visit, no neighbors to wonder about you, not even any enemies to give you any trouble, except God, the enemy. And by the final verse, all we know for sure is there's a human being suffering and she's reaching out to God, but we never get a whiff of God's presence or response or even existence. God is silent at best and absent at worst. The psalmist can even be heard to incite God, maybe mock God a little bit. And here I'm reminded of Paul Newman's character, Luke, in the great film Cool Hand Luke. If you've ever seen it, you remember toward the end, Luke is now a fugitive. He still has his ankles in chains. And he finds an empty church at night and he enters and he looks up at the rafters and he lets God have it. He gives one of the best prayers I ever heard on film or anywhere else. He looks up at the rafters. He says, hey, old man, appropriate address. Hey, old man, you home tonight? I know I got no call to ask for much, but you got to admit you hadn't dealt me any cards lately either. You made me like I am. So just how am I supposed to fit in? And then Luke bends down, he clasps his hands, and he says, on my knees asking. And he opens his eyes and he peeks up to the rafters. Silence. And then Luke says, mm-hmm, that's what I thought. But maybe the question is not why Psalm 88 is there or why it's not on the liturgical calendar. Maybe the question is how seriously we would take the book of Psalms if every prayer in it gets answered. How many prayers in your experience really go answered? What's your... What's your prayer success rate? We're rightly suspicious of anyone claiming all their prayers have been answered. I've been blessed. I've been so blessed, I'm going to put a blessed bumper sticker on my car. Mm -hmm. Maybe the first question about Psalm 88 is why there aren't more psalms like this. We'd be unwise to reach to the end of the Psalter assuming our prayers have an answer rate of 99.3%. I did the math. One out of 150. I remember walking through the children's, uh, the, the children's memorial at Yad Vashem. That's the World Holocaust Remembrance Museum just outside of Jerusalem. There's a main room there in the children's part that's darkened, except for five candles. And the whole room is mirrored in such a way that it reflects those five candles in every direction so that it looks like a sky full of stars. And as you're moving through the space, you hear names. Names of children. 1.5 million children's names on a loop. And the loop ends after it begins three months later 
And then it starts all over again. Why is Psalm 88 there? Why include it? What good does it do? I wonder if at least part of the good news of Psalm 88 is that it exists. It's there for every person, every church, every community, every nation that has prayed in anguish only to be met by silence or to be met with worse circumstances at the end than they had at the beginning. I wager Psalm 88 is good news because through Psalm 88, Scripture extends a hand to those of you who pray without ceasing, but also without resolution. And says, you are not alone. I have a word for you, too. I thank God there's a Psalm 88 for as often as we speak here of searching for God, seeking God, finding God. This prayer stakes a claim for those of us who've done all we know to do to find God but now have no other recourse than for, to wait for God to come and find us. The scholar Ellen Davis even says this kind of lament has a, a way of marking the trail into despair in God's plain sight. Like, hey God, look at this. I'm leaving evidence for you. I'm leaving little clues for you. Marking the trail to the bottom of the night by the one who's crying out in anguish. Think of the words of, of Psalm 88 in that way. Like when, when you can wrap yourself in this prayer and it matches your life, you can say these words and leave them like little crumbs behind you for God to find you. There's a, there's a small group of researchers in the Great Smoky Mountains who've documented hundreds of what they call trail trees. You may have heard of these or even seen these when you're out hiking. Trail trees are, are trees that the Cherokee planted long ago. And they would train these trees when they were saplings to bend and point in certain directions. And, and once upon a time, they served many purposes. Uh, marking trails, water sources, or safe stream crossings, ceremonial or sacred sites, shelter, but there are also burial trees. And these mark the graves of those who've been buried, but without proper ceremonies. The trees signify the presence of the person's soul that's still waiting for a proper goodbye. I wonder how many countless souls there are still waiting. And I wonder if every prayer that sounds like Psalm 88 is like a tree in the forest that has been pared and trained and bent to look unlike all the other trees, to serve as a sign to those who might otherwise be lost in the wilderness. Oh, dear psalmist of despair, we managed to get halfway down the Psalter's path until you showed up all bent and twisted and gaunt and grotesque. 
But today the Spirit beckons us to come close to this holy trail tree and to see the message carved into the bark. It reads, Lord of my heart, do not weep. I have good news for you. I have left trail markers for you. Marked with my suffering and my tears and my bent over prayers. A trail to give the wanderer something to hold on to. A trail to guide the living to the dead. So God of the living, come and find me.